as we come to the end of another year, isn't that amazing? The next Lord's Day, the Lord willing, when we come together, it'll be a new year. I asked my children this morning, Lydia and Levi, as we were coming to the building, have you reached that point in life yet where you realize how quickly time passes? Of course, Lydia said yes, and then my son, rising to the height of spiritual perception, said, yeah, it seemed like only two days ago I was opening my, pre my Christmas presents, which that came Christmas Eve for us. So The year has gone by quickly, hasn't it? It always goes by quickly. Every year goes by quickly. But as we come to the end of this year, I'd like to ask us to think about where we are insofar as our faith is concerned. In the 8th chapter of the book of Luke, we read about an event that took place in the life of Jesus. Verse 22, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. This is Luke 8 and verse 22. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, but as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus, and they woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, you have to think about where the disciples were at this point in their lives and in the, the ministry of Jesus. They had seen miracles performed by Christ. They had heard Jesus teach. They were closely associated with him in his ministry. And yet here in the midst of this storm, the thought that goes through their mind is we are perishing. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, he asked a question. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? You've seen the miracles. You've listened to what I've said. You've been exposed to my life. You've been exposed to my teaching. And yet here in the midst of this storm, the only thought that can go through your mind is that we're about to perish. Physically, we're about to lose our, our lives. Well, they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? I'll ask you again, where is your faith? How did you begin the year? Maybe you began with some New Year's resolutions, and you had these, these ideas about where you were going to go in the year. You were going to work. You were going to, you were going to be diligently involved in the Lord's work. You were going to study. You were going to pray. And, and you were going to increase your faith. And here we are at the end of the year, and we're looking back. We're doing a survey. And we ask the question, where is my faith? Where am I at in, in, in my life with respect, respect to this, this faith that, that is mine? I want to address that, that subject in the next few moments. And I want to be begin by going to another place in the ministry of Christ that's found in the, the ninth chapter of, of Luke's gospel. Just 
turn a couple of pages over in your New Testaments. And, and this is another miracle that Jesus performed. And, and this was after the transfiguration. Think about that. This, this was after the feeding of the 5,000, the miracles of healing that Jesus had engaged in in, in just a few days earlier. And on the next day, verse 37 of Luke chapter 9, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he, he suddenly screams. It throws him into a convulsion with, with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. The disciples that were in the boat with Jesus who thought that they were perishing, the disciples who had seen the miracle that he performed in the calming of the storm, the disciples of whom Jesus asked the question, where is your faith? The disciples that Jesus had sent out on the commission and gave them the ability to cast out demons and to perform miracles. This man had begged those disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Now that prompted a statement on the part of Jesus. He answered and he said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Now who was Jesus talking about? Who was this, this unbelieving and perverted generation? Now the father of this son in the parallel account... He said, if you can do this, you can make my son well. And he said then, after Jesus' statement that we'll look at in a few moments, he then said, I believe. Who was it that couldn't cast out the demon? It was the disciples of Jesus. The first point that I would make with respect to the question, where is your faith? We need to realize the impact that society has upon our faith. Maybe it makes us feel a little bit better to know that those who spent so much time and walked so closely with Jesus and saw so much in his life, they were the unbelieving and perverted generation. They were the ones who couldn't cast it out. They were the ones that Jesus asked, where is your faith? Well, if it could happen to them... Buddy, you better believe. You better believe it can happen to us. In Matthew chapter 17, I'll ask you to turn to that place. And I want you to notice here, beginning at verse 19, after this event, this is not recorded in Luke's gospel, but it was recorded in the parallel account in Matthew's gospel. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said... Why could we not drive it out? You kind of wonder if they were planning to keep this from Jesus. <laughs> you know, they came back talking about all the things that they had done, but they probably didn't share this story with him. Why couldn't we drive it out? And he said, because of the littleness of your faith. Think again about that. 
Those who had seen the miracles, who, who had received this ability to perform miracles, they were still struggling in their faith. And Jesus said, For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by, by prayer and fasting. It was the impact of the unbelieving and perverted generation that weakened their faith. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached the gospel to the Jews assembled, 3,000 obeyed the gospel. We read about that. They came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We also read about them being baptized. But there's a statement that's made here in Acts, the second chapter, that is deserving of our attention. And it's the statement that was recorded by Luke in Acts, the second chapter in verse 40. With many other words, he solemnly testified and he kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. You see, Jesus called it an unbelieving and perverse generation. And Peter is saying, you need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized to have those sins washed away. But there's something you need to realize. Your faith is going to be under constant attack because you live amidst many who will not believe. You live among many who are going to, not intentionally, they're not going to just come up and tell you this, but by virtue of the way they live their lives, they're going to be working. They're going to be agents of Satan to destroy your faith and to bring you down. You need to be saved from that generation. You need to deliver yourselves from that generation. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to look at a description of the people who would live in the last days. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Now when you read that, you start thinking, well, the last days, is he talking about us? Yes, he is talking about us, but he was talking about them as well. You see, the last days is a, is a phrase that's used in regards to the messianic period. During this time of Messiah, this is what you're going to face. Men will be lovers of self. Think about our world. Check. Lovers of money. Check. Boastful. Arrogant. Revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its, its power. And then he says to avoid such men as these. Well, he wouldn't have told them to avoid such men as these if such men as these didn't live in their time. But such as men as these live in our time too, don't they? That unbelieving and perverse generation will be with mankind until the Lord returns. And it is that unbelieving and perverse generation that is going to weaken your faith if you allow it to do so. The second observation I would make from what we're discussing this morning is the power of faith. 
And I think Jesus, especially with that group of disciples who were going to be charged with the task of carrying on his work after his departure, he wanted them to see that. He wanted them to see how, how powerful faith was and, and how faith could work in their lives to, to allow them and to empower them and to strengthen them to, to, accomplish it, to accomplish such great things. In Mark chapter 9, again, this is another parallel account of the miracle where Jesus drove the demon out of the man's son. You'll notice in verse 19 of Mark chapter 9, Jesus again said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And, and then in this same chapter in verse 23, Jesus asked a question of the, of the child's father. If you can Jesus asked that question because of what he said to Jesus in verse 22. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus put it back to him. If you can, you're asking me if I can do this? Why did you bring him to me? Why did you bring your son to me if you don't think that I can do this? All things are possible to him who believes. I believe he was saying that for the father of the son who was demon-possessed. I believe he was also saying that for the disciples who couldn't cast that demon out because of the weakness of their faith. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help, help my unbelief. In asking the question, where is my faith? Perhaps I have forgotten the power of faith. Perhaps I have forgotten how important that faith is in my life and, and not casting out demons. We don't see demon possession today as we see demon possession then, but we all have our demons, don't we? We all have our struggles, our inner struggles, those, those battles that we, we face every day. And we need to hear Jesus saying, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus said later at the raising of Lazarus from the dead, he said to Martha, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? John 11 and verse 40. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Well, he was referring to God raising Lazarus from the dead. If we believe, if we develop the faith that truly saves, then we will see the glory of God. We, we will be a part of that general resurrection at the end of time when the Lord returns. The power of faith is no more clearly seen than in the example of the Old Testament nation of Israel. God saved them, didn't he? He delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. God saves us from the bondage of sin. 
They then began the, the journey to the promised land. When we're saved, we then begin the journey to the promised land. And what is it that's going to take us into that promised land? Well, we're going to be there by the grace of God. It'll be God's mercy. But I won't be there if I lose my faith. Which again begs the question, where is your faith? In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, beginning, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, how many times did Jesus say, if you have ears to hear, listen. How often did Jesus emphasize the importance of being careful how you listen? It's not just exercising the sense of hearing. It's allowing the Word of God to pierce your heart, to penetrate your soul so as to change you. Do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me, as in the days of trial in the wilderness. You see, when the disciples were in the boat in the midst of the storm, Jesus was right there with them. But all they could see was the storm. And because of that, they felt they were perishing. And Jesus said, where is your faith? Verse 9, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with this generation. I said, they always go astray in their heart, and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then he said in verse 12, that is the Hebrew author, chapter 3, take care, brethren. And that's, that's almost another way of saying, where is your faith? that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Nowhere does the Bible teach the impossibility of apostasy. In fact, the Bible teaches the possibility of apostasy, and we have all seen it. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Where is your faith? Verse 18, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Notice the connection between a weak faith and disobedience. You're never going to be obedient to God. You're never going to keep the commandments of God. You're never going to have a desire to keep those commandments if your faith is weak. You've got to see the power of faith. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard, listen to it, the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. It's not just a matter of going to church. It's not just a matter of opening your Bible up and reading. It's not just a matter of going to Bible class and being exposed to the teaching and the preaching of God's, God's Word. You've got to unite that with faith. And when you see the power of faith and the impact that the society and the unbelieving generation has upon you, then you reach deep to find that faith. For we who have believed enter that rest. Where is your faith? As we come to the end of another year, where is your faith? I think there are certain keys to finding your faith, and these are not new, but I want you to see the connection. 
First, going to Mark chapter 9, and this is a place we've already been, and looking at that miracle once again. We read this earlier, Mark chapter 9, driving the demon out of the, the son of the father who brought him to Jesus. When Jesus stated all things are possible to him who believes, he then said, I do, my, I do believe. But then he said, help my unbelief. That's a prayer. A, a key to the faith that saves, that allows us to survive spiritually in the midst of an unbelieving and perverted generation is prayer. Ask God. As simple as it may sound, just ask God to help your unbelief. In verse 29, he said to them, when they asked, why could we not drive it out? This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Whatever the battle is, pray. Whatever it is that's weakening your faith, pray. Ask God to help that faith. The second key it's found in Romans 10 and verse 17. I read this verse this week and, and realized how many times I've misquoted this. Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. No, it says hearing by the word of Christ. Maybe not a lot of difference there. But in the marginal rendering, he says, hearing concerning the word of Christ. Concerning Christ. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing that which we learn from the scriptures about Jesus. You know, that would have had relevance for those disciples, would it not? You guys are with me. You're close to me. You're watching what I'm doing, you're seeing the miracles, but where is your faith? Are you really hearing? Are you really seeing everything that's happening concerning my ministry? Well, that does, again, stress the importance of, of studying God's Word, but as I said earlier, it, it goes beyond just some academic exercise People study the Bible for a lot of different reasons. Some people just enjoy it. Some people consider it good literature. <laughs> Some people consider it a great book. But it's more than that. It is the basis of the faith that those disciples in the boat were struggling to have. In the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse Two, the question was raised by those who were seeking to be justified by law, law under the old law of Moses. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see that? You've you got to be careful how you listen. If you have ears, you've got to hear. If you have eyes, you've got to see. You can't have a hard heart. You can't have preconceived ideas and notions. You can't be listening to what the world of religion is telling you. You've got to be listening to what the Word of God is telling you. Pray and then hear. Listen 
to the voice of God as he speaks through his word as you've never listened before. And then go to Luke chapter 22. Let's see the, the third point here, which, again, these are, these are nothing new. You pray, you study. But in Luke 22, here's something that took place in the life of Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. He's, he's speaking to Peter. We know that Peter's about to deny Christ three times before the cock crows once. And he told Peter in verse 31 that Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And then he said, that is our Lord to Peter, verse 32, but I prayed for you. Look at what he says. That your faith may not fail. His faith may be weak. He may stumble. He may deny Christ three times. But the desire of the Lord was that his faith would not completely fail. You may know someone this morning who is weak in their faith. You need to pray that for them. That their faith will not fail. If your faith is weak this morning, and the answer to the question, where is your faith, is not a good one, then you need to pray that your faith would not fail. But then notice the latter part, and here's the point. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The third key to finding your faith, number one, prayer, number two, study, number three, spend time with Christians who want their faith to be strong and are willing to share and encourage you so that your faith will not grow weak. And don't dismiss the man who seemingly lost his faith, like Peter, because those men can come back. In fact, those men might be able to share some things with you from their own experience that others can't share. But the key to all of that is, is association. It's, it's spending time with others. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I want you to notice how this, this was important. And by the way, if, if it was important for Peter, and it was important for his brothers and the apostles, why wouldn't it be important for us? You know, the, the arrogance of saying, I don't need anybody. Think about that. Peter did. The apostles did. And as we're going to see here, the apostle Paul did. I love the way he writes of his relationship with the church at Thessalonica. And the things that he said in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel, to strengthen and to encourage you as to your faith. It's like Jesus telling Peter, when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. He sent Timothy, Paul did, to strengthen his brothers so that no, no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. They were being persecuted by the Jews in the church at Thessalonica. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know, they would be in the ship with the storm. 
And there would be the time when the question would be asked, where is your faith? For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted. You mean Paul needed that? In his distress and his affliction, he needed strengthening in his faith. We were comforted about you through your faith, for now we really live. I love that. I have a new lease on life if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day kept praying most earnestly that we may see your faith and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Paul understood. It's an unbelieving and perverse generation. Paul understood the power of true faith. And Paul understood the importance just a prayer and study, but of spiritual association. Where is your faith? Where is your faith as this year comes to an end? Let's go to God now in prayer.